Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning? Again, back to the Gospel according to Mark, the 8th chapter, where we are going to be looking together at verses 1 through 26 this morning. That's Mark 8, 1 through 26. You can find that passage on page 989 in your pew Bibles. I want to tell you that I am very excited to now be back into the Gospel of Mark again after about a three-week hiatus. You will remember the end of chapter 7 was probably a, a good place for us to just sort of pause from our study together as we considered the response of sinners to the life-giving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that response, we said, was both doxology and disobedience. We rightly praise God for our salvation, even as we acknowledge the weakness of our flesh. We are now, this morning, beginning what is essentially then the second half of this wonderful Christ-exalting account of the gospel. And beloved, I hope that you have been as encouraged in your listening to the content of the gospel according to Mark through these sermons as I have found myself to be in writing them. It's a wonderful place to be, a wonderful place in Scripture to find ourselves in on any given Lord's Day. It is full of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it drives us again and again and again to see our own desperate need of that gospel. I've repeated it many times since we began this journey together that Mark really is on a mission here. And that mission, you can probably all say by heart, is that Mark is desperate to place before you the biblical Jesus. What we have here is the Lord Jesus Christ as he has revealed himself through his precious word. And I trust that that revelation has been both enlightening and encouraging, even as it has been at times devastating and convicting. Allow me to just briefly remind you of where we are at the end of chapter 7 before we begin chapter 8. You will remember that at the very end of Mark chapter 7, a couple of things were starting to become very, very clear. Mark has been giving us much insight into the vast scope of the kingdom of Almighty God as it is being built up by the King of Kings himself. And one of the things that has been front and center here has been the wonderful truth that this kingdom is made up from people from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. This kingdom is built up of both Jews and Gentiles. The gospel, that is the message of the kingdom, is going forth into the world as Jesus preaches and teaches these crowds that are continually gathering before him, both Jews and Gentile crowds. They are being called by the grace of God and they are responding by the grace of God to that call. And of course, That's an important thing or an important theme for us to take away here in Mark. He wants us to have that at the front of our minds while he expounds to us what this king and this kingdom are truly all about. So as we begin to move 
through chapter 7, or as we began to move through chapter 7, we saw a couple of things beginning to rise to the surface in this revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One of those things being manifested was the full messianic reality that Jesus in his person and work was bringing to pass or bringing to its full prophetic fulfillment. There cannot be any mistaken identity here without blatantly ignoring what Jesus is revealing here in Mark. This was indeed the long-awaited, the, the long-anticipated, the long-hoped-for Messiah. And we see it again and again. And looking at these events and these miracles that are going on in the ministry of Jesus through the lens of prophecy. This is not just another guru on the stage of religious and philosophical history. This is not simply another good teacher in a vast sea of good teachers. This most certainly is not just some wizard gaining notoriety through a show of magical and supernatural power. No, beloved, this is the Son of God. God incarnate. Jesus, as he's revealing himself in his broken creation, is actually fulfilling the prophecies that have been spoken of him from the very beginning. He had arrived and he was living out his mission, bringing restoration and relief to broken people, living under the desperate effects of a broken world because of sin. This is the great shepherd king come to feed his people heavenly bread himself for all of eternity. And we've looked at that from many different angles now. I'm not going to go through them all again this morning, but hopefully by now you've made that connection. The other thing that we have witnessed here is this building tension as Jesus sort of sets himself on a collision course with the spiritual leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And in seeing and even perceiving the substance of that collision, hopefully, by the grace of God, we have come to understand some fundamental, necessary truths surrounding this king and this kingdom. The scribes and the Pharisees, though very knowledgeable in the things of God, have never moved from the bare facts to the meaning or to the substance standing behind them. They've never progressed from the shadow to the substance that was casting the shadow in the first place. A truth that the passage before us this morning will shed even more light on for us. We'll investigate that further here in just a moment. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they were men who clearly knew things. They were most certainly not ignorant of the messianic prophecies contained within the law and the prophets. They too knew and perhaps even anticipated the hope of the promises made to their forefathers. However, the truth of God's word had never really moved from their heads to their hearts. 
from certainly knowing to heartily trusting, even eventually fully depending. And that is precisely where they are involved then in this collision with the truth of God's word as the word of God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very truth of God, stands before them incarnate. And he quickly differentiates between the religiosity of these men and the changed hearts of those whom he had called, gathered, and will preserve. Externalism or mere outward appearances, blind morality, none of those things were or are the fruits of the gospel. Yet these men, the scribes and the Pharisees, pursued those very things with reckless abandon. However, being transformed from the inside out, that is and was the fruit of the gospel, Jesus was seeking the lost. In fact, that was precisely why he came. We need to keep that in mind here. Everything that Jesus is doing is centered on the fact that he has come to bring salvation to sinners. Those who felt comfortable in their own righteousness, those who truly lived only for self, they could not really hear or really see him. But sinners, those who by the grace of God that had had their physical and spiritual eyes opened, they could see him, albeit very dimly, but they could see him and they rightly flocked to him. This is just a cursory glance at all that we've been looking at so far in this gospel according to Mark and specifically in chapter 7. And I trust that you will go back or that you've already been looking back on these things because they are certainly worthy of your attention and your meditation in the coming weeks. They are in fact crucial to our fully understanding who and what Jesus is and what he came to accomplish and what role you and I play in the Christian life and the drama of redemption on this side of the glory of heaven. Beloved, we need to grasp this. And it sets the stage for what follows in the text that is before us this morning. The mission of Jesus is becoming more and more clear as he progresses steadily towards the cross, where he will throw down the power of sin, death, and the devil for eternity. The passage before us flows out of that truth. And you will see just how well all of this sort of comes together as we move now into chapter 8. So if you have not turned there already, please turn with me now to Mark chapter 8 and please follow along as I read verses 1 through 26. And I know this is a lengthy passage. It's a much longer passage than we are accustomed to looking at together. But I trust that you will see why I think we need to consider this entire passage together this morning. Hear now the word of our Lord. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days 
and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some, some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to you, to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. They did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. The man looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. He was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful again for your word this morning. We're grateful for Uh, the ordinary means of grace and our being able to sit under the preaching of the word. We ask now that through the power of your spirit that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the many things that distract us and we would give our full attention to your word so that hearing your word through the power of your spirit we would be transformed by that word for your glory and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I think is very clear here as we move into this eighth ch- 